Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, last week, uh, when Pastor Miller was talking about the movie Fiddler on the Roof and the power of tradition, uh, one of the first thoughts that came to my mind is that I was already alive when Fiddler on the Roof first came out. <laughs> and the second thought I had is that there's another scene from Fiddler on the Roof that I want to use to begin my message today, and it comes uh, when Tevye the Milkman is gathered around his cart with a group of his friends, and he begins to quote the scriptures, or so it seems, when he says to them with great confidence, as the good book says, if you spit in the air, it comes back to your face. And his friends look at each other like, what? <laughs> but before they have a chance to quiz him on the accuracy of his biblical knowledge, Tevye does it again. And he says, again with great confidence, and as the good book says, if a poor man eats a chicken, one of them is sick. <laughs> Where in the good book does it say that, they protest. All right, all right, answers Tevye. It doesn't exactly say that, but somewhere there's something about a chicken. <laughs> After which Tevye gets his cart and he starts to roll his way toward home. About a month ago, I used a passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians to talk about the power of our words to make or break, to restore and sustain our relationships with each other. Today I want to use a passage from Paul's letter to the Colossians to talk about God's words and their power to make and sustain our relationships with him as well as with each other as we do the best that we can to navigate our way through this life through all of its joys and sorrows, its loves and losses, its failures and successes. And as we come to this annual day when we commit ourselves again to studying the good book and to bringing God's word to children of all ages and also out into the world in which we live. And uh, without going too deeply into the context of uh, today's passage from Colossians chapter 3, let me just refresh your memory and uh, remind you that Paul's letter to the Colossians, or in other words, the church in the ancient city of Colossae, and his letter to the Ephesians, or the church in the city of Ephesus, were written at the same time, along with a third letter to an individual friend of his known as Philemon, who was a member of the church in Colossae. And even though all three of these letters were written basically at the same time, they were all very different in terms of their agenda. They all had a very unique purpose. And with respect to his letter to the Colossians, Paul's primary purpose was to correct some false teaching, some heresy that existed in the Colossian church that had to do, among other things, with an over-focus on tradition and ritual and ceremony in the context of the church's worship and also with uh, some over-focus on human opinion or wisdom among uh, certain members and leaders of the church that weren't exactly consistent with the teachings of Jesus. And so if you were going to summarize 
or give a theme to Paul's letter to the Colossians, that theme would be the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus above everybody, above everything uh, else. And, and so with that little bit of context in mind, uh, I want to zero in on just one verse from the passage that you heard, and that is Colossians 3.16. You've heard of John 3.16? This is Colossians 3.16. And it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in your hearts with gratitude to God. And in that one verse, you can just about hear Paul addressing every issue that was sending the Colossian Christians off course. As he says, in effect, Sisters, brothers, let the word of Christ be at the center of your teaching and not human wisdom in which you are putting way too much faith. Let the word of Christ be the center of your relationships as you admonish one another, which is a word that literally uh, means to advise or to encourage or even to warn one another about how we actually live our lives. And finally, let it be the center of your worship so that you don't end up doing what some people still do to this very day, and that is worship the worship instead of worshiping the object of our worship or spending so much time and so much attention on the service, on the tradition, on the ritual that we fail to come into communion with the Lord of life. Next Sunday, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about worship as we install Ruth Heilman as our new uh, minister of music and why we do what we do, not to worship the worship or the service, but to worship the Lord himself. Uh, but the thing I want to highlight the most about this passage is the word that Paul uses at the very beginning of Colossians 3.16, and that is the word dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Because if you look up the word dwell in an English dictionary, you'll, you'll find words like uh, inhabit or occupy. And they're good, except that there's a little more to it than that because the New Testament word for dwell really doesn't have a perfect one-word English translation. In fact, the, the original Greek word for dwell literally means uh, to be homing or to be at home, which would then make it sound a little more like this. Let the word of Christ be at home in your life. And so on this day when we install again our teachers of God's word and we launch into a new season in Sunday school, confirmation, high school youth and adult Bible studies as we get ready to cross the threshold and take the good book over to Howard County and, and gather here on common ground. I want to share some thoughts with you about doing what God has called his church to do for the direction and the encouragement uh, of our lives. And while I don't want this to sound exactly like a commercial for our educational ministries here at St. Andrew, although it is that, I also want it to be an admonition, like a word of encouragement to process God's word so well 
and so much that it really is at home in your life. Because I think that all of us probably know that your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life will move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And if your thoughts when you get up in the morning are, you know, they're negative, or they're toxic, or they're self-punishing, or they're spiritually polluted, or they're mean-spirited, then that's what your life is going to sound like. That's what it's going to look like. That's the direction in which it's going to go. But if you get up and you say, my God is with me, and I have his grace, and there is a purpose for my life even on the toughest day, then the chances are that your life's going to go in a very different direction. And so today, you know, I would encourage you to look at this book as something more than a book or a, a collection of 66 books, which is what it is, and in fact the word Bible literally means book, but rather as a connecting point, a meeting place for your relationship with God. Because the letter to the Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active. It's like a relationship. And you know how relationships go. It's like marriage or any other relationship. Some things about it, you know, are very easy to understand, crystal clear. And you just enjoy it right away. But sometimes there are other parts of a relationship that are a little mysterious and not as easy to understand. And you have to work on it. You've got to dig into it. There are times when I'll open this book and read a passage, and I mean, my heart is filled up like that. There are times when I open it and I read a passage and I say, what in the world does that mean? And I've got to work on it a little bit more. Some people read the Bible and they say, wow, God is amazing. He's created the universe. Some people read it and say, I got questions about creation. Or a God who commands Israel to slaughter entire cities, and a son of God who commands us to love one another. And what's up with that? Sometimes we misunderstand the Bible. Sometimes we misquote the Bible. Sometimes we quote the Bible out of context. And sometimes we're just kind of confused because we wonder about it, but we're not digging into it. And yet, in the midst of all these mysteries, all these things that we're still working on, through it all, I still hear the voice of God speaking to me and making this book his book the defining story of my life. Week before last, I got a new car. And my old car went to our daughter, Lauren, who for some reason doesn't mind a gun barrel gray Toyota Camry. Now, I've been driving my new car around for more than a week, and I'm enjoying it, and it's taken me places. I have yet to read the owner's manual. <laughs> I'm moving. I'm going. I'm having fun. 
but there's still things that I don't know about it. Still things I have to learn about it so that when I do, then I will have it and enjoy it to its fullest. The more you know the Word of God, the better you know God. And the more you will sense the power that takes you through your journey, the God who comes into your conversation, into your relationships, into your worship, and the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that you lift up to his praise and glory. You know, one of my favorite hymns of all time is The King of Love My Shepherd Is. Uh, because that hymn was sung at my ordination, at all of my installations, at the funerals of both of my parents. It is a paraphrase of the 23rd Psalm. It is, as you just heard, very beautiful, and it is a way to process the Word of God into my heart and into my life so that I am quite sure if I get to a point where my eyes can't even read the words on the page anymore, I'm still going to know it. I'm still going to have it. Perverse and foolish, oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me. And on his shoulder gently laid and home rejoicing brought me. You know, I think of uh, that passage that we hear every year at the beginning of Lent, where Jesus is tempted by the devil in the wilderness three times, and every time the devil says, you know, if you do this for me, I'm going to do this for you. How does Jesus respond all three times with three words? It is written. Even the Savior stands on the word and promise of his Father God that he learned as a child growing up in the synagogue of Nazareth. Your life will follow the strongest thoughts that you have. And what if those thoughts are on the most important words of all that are right there in front of you to tell you that you're saved and you're loved and you're forgiven and you're claimed and you've got a purpose for your life? Within the last 10 days, I have been with a family in mourning. And I have watched them lean into the Word of God so that they can turn the page and go on. Not easily, but in the sufficiency and comfort and power of His words and promises. I have stood in front of a young couple and I watched them lean into the Word of God before they exchanged marriage vows and embarked upon this new journey together as husband and wife. I have been with a godly family who claimed the promises of this book in one of the most horrible circumstances that you could ever possibly imagine. Not because they worship the book or worship the worship, but they worship the one who is revealed in its pages. I'm holding in my hand a Bible that belonged to my mother. And uh, my brother 
gave this Bible to me shortly after she went home to her Savior last fall. And, uh, you know, in this Bible, uh, you know, there are all kinds of bookmarks. I found a picture of David, and one of the bookmarks says, you know, when, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. And when I opened it up, you know, I, I saw some words that, you know, I'd seen before, but I'd forgotten them. I didn't remember them right on the inside of the cover. And the words say this, to mom, with our love, prayers, and gratitude for all you do and all you are, may God bless you in his living word. Love, Mark and Patty, Mother's Day, 1989. What I like about this Bible, besides the fact that I got it back, is how beat up it is. I mean, you know, she must have really wrestled with Revelation. <laughs> because this book is a sign that somebody's been word processing and that the word of Christ really was at home in her life. Because here's the thing. When you're at home, like literally, in your home, and you're hungry, you know, know where to go at home to get some food. And when you're at home, and you're tired, then you know where to go to get some rest. And when you're home, and something breaks, you know where the tools are so that you can get it fixed. When you're at home and you are dirty, you know where to go to get clean again. I pray that God would instill in all of us a craving for his word. And that in response to that craving, you would just enjoy it right here, right now. But also keep digging into it as summer turns to fall and you continue to discover the defining story of your life so that you will always know where to go for your nourishment, for your rest, for your restoration and for your cleansing. Because this book is God's love story. And by the grace of Jesus Christ, you and I are in it. And I pray that would be your strongest thought until his word is fulfilled and you are at home with God forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.